Good, 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 good. Well, we're continuing in our series, as you can see that on the board. We doing all right? And now that I've got you calmed back down, <laughs> now that I've got you calmed back down, let's hear it. Okay, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> and uh, last week we talked about the gift of faith, and what, uh, just a tremendous asset to the body of Christ, and, and so much so, you know, that we can't even please God without it. You know, and, and so it's just an incredible piece of what we have. We talked about last week that it's not turning the impossible possible because we're presupposed then to think that something is impossible, but rather the gift of faith is, is looking at the world and realizing that everything is possible. You know, it sky's the limit for your imagination and your connectivity with God and executing His will on the earth. He's a really big God. When He speaks, He expects that what He believes is going to happen, Period. That's a done deal. And it's partnering with God from his perspective in heaven, from his heavenly throne, because how many of you know that's where we've been seated, right? You know, it's partnering in that place positionally where there are unlimited resources to do everything that you could ever imagine. And it's then the gift that allows you to believe as you see out there with eyes of vision, you know, rather than being bogged down by all of the details that often make it look like you can't do what you're hoping to do, right? I told first service, I said, yeah, I, I think that there have been a number of people all throughout history who had the gift of faith that we haven't really thought much about. You know, like the guy who designed the, the jetliner. I mean, what idiot decided that, that they're, you know, we'll just, you know, we're going to fabricate tons of steel, you know, put a great big motor behind it, and we're going to fly through the sky at hundreds of miles an hour. You know, that sounds reasonable. It's like, you know, it's like God gave me two perfectly good legs. You know, I can get to point A to point D. I, I, you know, I don't need anything other than what God has already created me. Why would we need this newfangled contraption anyway? And who's going to be the guy to pilot it? Some guy with the gift of faith, <laughs> right? You know, it's, a, it's like there's so many things that God has put in the heart of man that absolutely looked impossible to everybody in their culture. So all of, the, all of the culture would ally against them and go, dude, I don't even know what you're thinking. That pizza is no good for you. Don't have that again. Like you, You're dreaming way off the map. This is impossible. Here's all of the reasons why this won't work. But they press through in light of the opposition of their culture because they've got a word, you know, because they believe that it's possible. And they stand in the face of that and advance that cause. Now, considering that, think of what we've done or what we've been able to accomplish as a result of the invention of the airplane. Has it made the world a little bit smaller for you? You know, I, myself, my family, we've been to seven different nations. I think eight for you. Yeah, eight for Misty, seven for me. I will catch you someday. You know, so seven or eight different nations across the planet, and all of those, we've been doing missionary work. You know, so we've taken the gospel of Jesus Christ literally to the ends of the earth. Well, guess what? With these two legs that God gave me, I don't think I'm going to walk to Africa, right? And I'm not that good of a swimmer, right? You know, so the gift of faith being released into the body of Christ is intended to bring forth great exploits like that of the plane in order that God's ultimate goal will be accomplished. In this case, it brings the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? Do you see how that connects together? And that brings us today to the gift of healing. Now, I say this like every time, and I prefaced last week's with this, but boy, is this ever one of my favorites. 
<laughs> you know, we were in, in YWAM, uh, Youth with a Mission. It was a missionary training school a number of years ago now. I think it was 2002 we were there. You know, and one of the teachers came through. He said, look, you're probably not going to be an expert in every subject that there is. He says, so why don't you pray and ask God and, and, and narrow that pool and, and grab one thing that you can be an expert in, and what would that one thing be if that was the case? And immediately I thought, I want to be an expert in healing. You know, I want to know everything the Bible has to say about it. I want to know it in and out. Like, I want to see the manifestation of this gift in my life. I want to see God's goodness. I want to see the expression of the love of the Father flow through me when I see someone stand in front of me who was lame from birth begin to walk for the first time. When I see somebody who, who can't, you know, see with their own eyes, but I get to be used by God. That's this expression of love in the earth to lay hands on them and to see the clarity of focus come back into their eyes and for them to see for the first time. You know, our deaf ears, imagine being able to hear for the first time. I've seen so many video testimonies of that very thing happening. So it was a no-brainer for me. I wanted this gift. I wanted to know the, the, the nth detail of the theology and the opposing theology. I wanted to devote my life to going after this one thing. So it's exciting for me. I don't know about for you, but I love seeing God show up in this particular way. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians, where we're at in chapter 12, as it releases the gift of, of healing, it actually, in the original language, says gifts of healings. It pluralizes both of those words. Gifts of healings. Now, there have been a number of teachers over the years that have speculated as to what that actually means for us as we're reading through the Bible. And as a result of that speculation, some have said that they believe the gift to be transient. And by transient, we mean that it's like sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. But the reality is that none of the other gifts are like that. So if we were to somehow parse this one out and say, well, this one is like this, this one's different than all of the rest, I don't think that would be consistent with the passage you know, that we see. I, I don't think we have any biblical reason to assume that sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't. And, and, unless as you relate it to being the manifestation of Holy Spirit and you've turned your back and you fl fled the other way, yeah, then maybe. Then, you know. But, but in, for the most part, I, I don't think there's any merit and believing that the gift is transient. And so others have come out and they've said, well, gifts of healings, plural, then that must mean that it's a gift that's given to different people for different purposes. You know, so the Devers, they get, they get the gift, and they're, they're actually, they're, their whole deal is that they heal cancer. He, he's terrible at healing the common cold, so don't bother going to him for prayer for that. You know, but his specialty is, to, is the, the, that he can heal the sick for cancer, which, by the way, God bless you. I wish that was your gift. I would pray that it is your gift, because we are desperate to see a cancer-free zone here. Yeah? Hate that thing. Nasty vermin. You know, we hear the word cancer, we think it's the impossible thing. It's not. Guess what? The, the God of all things are possible lives on the inside of you. Cancer has to bow to the name of Jesus, right? So contend with us for that one here in this place. But some believe there have been some who have been given the gift to heal cancer. And over here, maybe somebody else, Ron, you've been given the gift to heal barrenness. And hey, I take what I can get, right? And I, I think there's more merit to this than the first argument. But in context, when we read this, the Bible actually says, and to one is given this gift. And to another is given this gift. And so it seems by nature to define it as a singular gift given to an individual or severally as the Holy Spirit wills. I mean to several individuals, but, but, but a very specific gift to heal the sick 
And not something that's a niche healing where it's like cancer is your deal, but something that says if you're going to heal the sick, you're going to heal the sick. It's a gift that's released to you in operation or in conjunction with Holy Spirit to manifest the goodness of the Father in the earth. Are, are you with me so far? So I tend to think it's, it's, it's more this next one. We, we, know that, we know that sickness itself comes from a variety of different sources, right? You know, so for example... The, you know, sickness can be generational. Some people are scared of that word for whatever reason, but, but you believe in generational sickness because great-grandma had this condition, and grandma had the same condition, and my mom had the same condition. So what's that mean? Good. Don't ever say that because it's not true. <laughs> but we presuppose that it also means that I'm to have the same condition, Right? So it's generational in nature. That's one of the ways that sickness can try to invade our lives is through that generational lineage. You know, how about just uh, the, how about environmental factors, right? You know, Ruthie's over there with one of her ruffians and he's got green snot pouring out of his face and they go into Walmart because it's the only place to shop in this amazing town, (laughs) right? You know, and she looks down and one of her children has sneezed and that green snot went all over the cart, Right? And then Misty comes in with her brood of amazing angels. You know, and, and we, we all grab a hold of the cart because we're taking turns apparently on pushing it. And that's, you know, that's pretty normal, right? You know, and then on Misty's ride home from Walmart, she's hoping that none of you are watching, but then she picks her nose. <laughs> and, and instantly, what was on the cart is now transferred into her body, and she falls ill as a result of it, right? So it's natural, environmental. It's a normal part of living in a fallen world that there are germs that we don't like, right? Or maybe another sense of environmental, maybe, maybe you've worked with asbestos your whole life, you know? And, and you, you know, you've been after it for 50 years, and you were a manly man, and nobody was going to get you to wear a mask because I'm a man. <laughs> Oh no, I've been doing it 50 years. Wish maybe I'd have wore a ventilator or something. <laughs> Is that a smoker's cough? No, it's asbestos cough because your environment has affected your health, right? Is there anybody? Is this making sense so far? So we know that another source of sickness is, is just straight, plainly demonic. In fact, the source of all sickness is plainly demonic. You know, but, but more specifically, kind of more on a narrow focus, we know that the demonic realm can have an impact on our personal health, right? You know, and so there's a very real reality. I mean, Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood. It means that there's a, a, there's a realm that we cannot see most of the time that is impacting our lives, and sometimes it impacts our health in the negative sense. Sometimes the sickness or the pain that you're experiencing is in direct connection to a demon. It shouldn't be scary. It's just the hidden reality of the world we live in. We have authority over that hidden reality. We see just an example really quick out of Luke chapter 9. There was a boy that was brought, and this is one of many examples, there was a boy that was brought to Jesus, and they were asking him to heal him. They were asking him very specifically to heal him of epilepsy. Interestingly, take this for what it is, every occurrence of epilepsy in the Bible was also associated with the demonic realm. Take it for what it is. I don't think that's necessarily an exclusive thing, but it is happens to be the precedent that we have in the Scripture. So he's... Physically impaired by this epilepsy, and in verse 42 in Luke chapter 9, it says, While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him, of course, this is the boy, 
the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into to a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, and listen to this, and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Now, it's interesting that it chooses to say that Jesus healed him. Here's this boy who has epilepsy. The epilepsy, the epilepsy is very clearly caused by a demon that's present and that's afflicting him in one way or the other, right? Is that clear from the text? Right? The manifestation of sickness in his life is directly connected to a demon. Jesus comes in. All things bow to him. He lays hands on the boy. The, boy, the, the demon is cast out of the boy. He says in that moment, he's healed. He's healed. See, sometimes, again, just to reiterate, physical sickness is attached very directly or very specifically to a demon, and we, our job is to discern that and kick them out of there, or off of there, or over there, or away from you, whatever you want to look at. What about sin? Does sin affect our physical bodies? Is it possible that maintaining a lifestyle of sin can actually cause my physical body to degrade in some way. I have known a number of people uh, who have died of, of heart disease who, if you looked at their life, and, and, and in many cases, generationally, and you find out that they were bitter and angry and, and, and they held unforgiveness tightly on the inside of their heart. Any connection? Not for everybody with heart disease. Some of you just eating KFC all the time. <laughs> <laughs> But often, but often, in a number that I have seen, there's bitterness and there's unforgiveness in there, and I believe there's a direct correlation to that sin and the sickness that's manifesting in their life. We find another example, just again, one of many in Scripture. There's a, there's a paralyzed man. He's, he's next to a, a, a pool of water, kind of like a, a well in the New Testament. It's a, a Beth, Bethesda, I always say it wrong. I say Bethsaida. I don't know why. It's Bethesda. So the pool of Bethesda, thank you. And uh, it, what would happen in, in essence is that an angel would come, it's an odd story, and would stir the waters once a year. And if you could get into the water before your brothers, you know, then you would get healed. Well, here's the problem. This dude was paralyzed. I mean, he hitched a ride to the pool but when the waters stir, he just gets to look at it and he can't jump in. And I guarantee you the 50 other brothers and sisters that are there looking for their healing are valuing their own over his because he's been there for a little while, right? Jesus comes along. He touches the man and heals him. The guy had been paralyzed. You understand this is a huge deal. This isn't like he's got a cold or he's got a little, he's paralyzed. The man cannot move. Here's what it says. John chapter five and in verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him, this is after he healed him, found him in the temple, and he said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. What is Jesus saying? Now, there's a very strong possibility, and I believe this is the case, that the man's paralyzed state is a direct result of his sin. Whatever that is, it doesn't tell us what it is. But if it's not, let's just suppose that he's just, for whatever reason, he's there paralyzed and it has nothing to do with his sin. What does Jesus say? He says that be careful how you live your life because from this point forward, your sin could have a worse effect on your body than what this paralyzation did. Do you see that? So whether it was connected to the former, Jesus definitely connects it to the future. And he says, make sure you're walking with a clean heart. Make sure that you've got all bitterness and unforgiveness and wrath and all of that stuff. Make sure that's not in you. 
Jesus calls us on a daily basis, Father, forgive them. Forgive me for the stupid stuff that I've done. Forgive them for the stupid stuff that they've done. Every day I'm called to clean the slate of my life. Why? Because sickness has a way of ruining me. Or rather, excuse me, because sin has a way of ruining me. Unforgiveness has a way of ruining me. Unforgiveness has a way of causing my body to come under stress and literally to be gnarled and messed up and it will cut my life short. This is why he's called us to live a lifestyle that's unoffendable, a lifestyle of forgiveness where the things that come at us, the darts, that people, the words that people say, they come and they bounce off of our lives. We can stand clean before the Father in heaven. And even if they've penetrated on a daily basis, I'm plucking them out and I'm releasing those people. This is the reason why. God's not trying to set some standard that you can't attain. He's trying to release you into life in abundance. He's trying to say, this is a weight that I have already bore for you. Be released into freedom. What about emotional healing? Emotional healing. See, when we see the gift of healing, we often immediately suppose that it has something to do with just physical that you have a, a physical ailment, something's broken somewhere, and that person has the gift to be able to restore you to normal health in, in your body, right? But the Scripture does not make that clear or does not make a clear distinction or delineation from that which is physical and that which is in the soul realm, emotional, right? In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4, it literally says that Jesus carried our sicknesses. And then in the next breath, it says, and he carried our emotional pains. Look, don't sit there for one second and believe the lie that the wounds that you have in your heart aren't somehow accounted for or provided for in the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He paid for it all. Look, as much as he has released someone to heal you physically from your wounds, he has also released people to heal your heart wounds. The stuff that's deep on the inside, the unforgiveness, the prone to anger, you know, the issues with addiction. He has, he has broken those things with his own body, with his own blood on the cross. He has carried your emotional woundings. He has carried them already. And when he carried them, that means he hung them on the cross. And that means that he has released to you everything that you need everything that you need to be successful, to live a godly life. He says that he always will give you a way of escape. Always. In every situation, he will always give you a way of escape. Jesus, with his own blood, has provided a pathway for you to walk that causes you to abstain from a lifestyle of sin and to step into a lifestyle of embracing him, maybe even in spite of the situation that you're in. Someone else's behavior, this is a side note, I just feel I should say this, someone else's behavior never dictates how I should respond. But they did this to me. And now you rise up and, ah, and I'm going to make sure I level the playing ground. How they treat me has no bearing on how I live my life, on what I do, because I'm responsible to my Heavenly Father before I'm ever responsible to you. And I can guarantee you this, I don't ever want to endanger my relationship with my father just to somehow get back at you. I'd rather just turn the cheek. Emotional healing provided for. You don't have to live, some of you, the way that you're living. Jesus has already paved the way and given provision. And this being a year of breakthrough, 
I believe he would be inviting you into a place and releasing grace to you to change your patterns of behavior, patterns perhaps that you've carried for ages. Grace to you to change your patterns of behavior because healing is present for the wounds that you're now carrying, for the bitterness that you're still holding on to, for the unforgiveness of those five people who hurt you. Are you with me? So I believe when it says gifts of healings, plural, that what it's referring to is the ability, regardless of the source of the issue, to, ex- to extend heaven's wholeness to you. So after all, that's what it means to be whole, right? We are body, soul, and spirit. If Jesus died to make us whole, is it possible? Is it possible to be whole if he only addresses one of the three or two of the three? It's not possible. He's addressed three of three. If we're to be whole, it's body physically making me whole. Soul emotionally providing for me, covering the wounds in my heart and bringing me to a place of wholeness and healing where I can have better patterns of behavior. And spirit where I'm no longer severed in relationship with Father, but I'm brought back into a place of connectivity, back into a place of intimacy, which ultimately results in an eternity with Him. You understand? Body, soul, and spirit. It's a triune experience to be made whole. Healing tells us a tremendous amount about the character of God and about His will on the subject. The very fact that God has called some to carry the gift, this manifestation of Holy Spirit, and that He would obviously then expect you to use that gift, right? I mean, is there anybody here who thinks that God would give you a gift and then He would lock you in the closet and tell you you can't use it? Okay, you, sir, we're going to pray for you afterwards. (laughs) No, of course. If, If God gives us a gift, there's the expectation that we would give it. Now, understanding that the gift itself is the manifestation of Holy Spirit, right? That means that when when Holy Spirit is around, the natural overflow of who He is is healing. Do you see that? Healing could be likened unto any of the fruit of the Spirit, which we would have no contention with. When Holy Spirit is there, He's good, faithful, and and, and He's he's love, and He's peace, and, and, and kindness. and We have no problem painting God as that, but when we say the manifestation of God through Holy Spirit on us is healing, we're saying the exact same thing. When Holy Spirit is present, so is patience. When Holy Spirit is present, so is love. When Holy Spirit is present, so is healing. It's the natural overflow of who he is, even his very name, Jehovah Rapha. He cannot be separated from God, our healer. It's who he is. It's his very nature. So why is it then, why, why, does, this, why does this expression, why has he given this gift? Why is this a part of the equation? Why do we see this on earth? Well, when was the last time you've considered heaven? And all its vastness and amazing. In the book of Revelation, it says of heaven, there's no more tears, no more pain. How many of you would like a little slice of that here and today? Right? No more tears, no more pain. Look, there is no sickness in heaven. It doesn't exist there. Now, the last time I checked, heaven is the, is the only realm where God's will is followed implicitly. Right? There's, there's no deviation. He says it is. Period. It's the only place where that happens. Would you agree to that? 
Look, on, on earth, are there people who, go, who die and go to hell? Yes, but it's his desire that they wouldn't, i.e., his will's not being done here to the nth degree. So heaven being the only place where his will is fully being done, and in that place there is no sickness, what does that say then about earth? That his desire is that in this realm there would also be no sickness. See, but you and I have actually been commissioned to partner with the God of heaven. Your will be done on earth, where? As it is in where? Heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven, the king's domain, the abode where you are, where your authority is, where your will is done perfectly, and where there is no sickness. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? It means God has commissioned us as a vessel to release his will on earth, and in this case, his will is that there would be no sick. I don't think there's any argument around that. It's the natural overflow of who he is, the manifestation of Holy Spirit on us, and he's commissioned us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. You bring that dynamic together, it's unstoppable. God's will and his desire on earth is that all would be healed and whole. Jesus has already paid for it. I'm going to jump forward. We've got a few examples. I recognize that it's now 1230 But if you were less enthusiastic, I could have landed the plane sooner. <laughs> when we look to the scriptures to provide examples of those who had a, had a gift of healing, there are two men who jump off the pages. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, right? And we're only going to deal with one of those, the Apostle Paul, because so many believe that Paul is the, the premier apostle. Of course, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, you know, so probably there's warrant in saying he's the premier apostle. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, with, with all of his strengths and weaknesses, you know, was an, was an amazing man. And he was captured by the authorities of his day, dropped onto a boat, and they were going to take him to Rome. Right? And the boat, because of the nature of, of sea travel at that time, has to make a multitude of stops because either one, the wind and, the, and the, the weather would be contrary, or two, we're just out of supplies. And three, somebody needs to swab the deck because people are getting sick all over the place. This is aw- it's like the worst mode of travel ever. How many of you are glad somebody had the gift of faith for air travel now? You know, it's like, you know, so on one of these stops, Paul finds himself on the island of, of Melita. He's, he's there in handcuffs. He's there. He's totally incarcerated. They're taking him to the authorities to be tried. And in that place, he gets an opportunity to lay hands on, on like the chief of the village, guy who's sick. And he recovers. He gets healed. And what follows? Everybody on the entire island, an entire people group come lining their sick up. And Paul heals every single one of them without exception. Every single one. Look, I know Paul. He's going to tell them who healed them. And we don't necessarily get the rest of the story, but I guarantee you he took advantage of that opportunity. And it's very likely, considering we have report in the New Testament that, that, that the multitudes were coming to salvation, that all of Asia had heard the gospel, that in this moment, because of this gift of God on his life, that people were getting saved on that island. And that island would never be the same, completely and utterly transformed. Because one man, in the midst of his incarceration, in the midst of the most trying of circumstances that one could possibly be in, in that place refused to bow to his circumstances and stepped into what he was called to be and exercised his gift apart from his circumstances. 
See, so many would want to look at their circumstances and say, oh, woe is me. Your circumstances may well be an opportunity for you to give glory back to God. So in this place, the, the, the premier apostle releases healing and everybody is touched. Now tell me, that man doesn't have the gift of healing. Sometime later, we find in the book of Acts that, that he's, uh, Paul being a tent maker, right? How many of you have been in a third world nation? Right? Just a handful of you? Where there's no air conditioning, right? There are no paved roads. It's dusty, filthy, dirty, sweaty, gross. Paul stinks really bad. He's still a human man, you know, and he's got this filthy, you know, handkerchief that's supposed to catch the sweat so that it doesn't get in his eyes so that he could do the job that he was supposed to do. And they take this filthy, nasty handkerchief off of him. And because he had the gift of healing and because the anointing of God was so clearly upon him, They took that and sent the handkerchief, not Paul, but the handkerchief to those who needed healing and they were healed. Now tell me, this is not an amazing man of God. So many, they look at this and they say, wait a second, if if the gift of healing was present today, then then why isn't everybody healed when you pray for them? And and why why aren't these people going to hospitals and just cleaning out the hospitals? Well, look, I, I think before we put eyes of judgment, by the way, I think those are two excellent questions. But before we begin to judge those who are saying that they've got this gift and have some measure of success in their life, I think we have to look at the scriptures to find the precedent that's written there, right? And see if our lives line up with theirs just a little bit. So the most premier apostle who's clearing out islands, everybody who's there getting healed, handkerchief comes off his head. And you know, Paul was as surprised as anybody. You know, there's nowhere else where it's written that that happened. There's no precedent for that to my knowledge. They take it off and they send back word, dude, you don't believe it's amazing. People are getting healed. He's like, what? This is awesome. He's just like you and I. He's just walking through the process, discovering through relationship with God what it looks like to walk out this gift in his life. And this man had a son in the faith named Timothy. You remember what it said of Timothy? Paul himself says of Timothy, take a little bit of wine for your chronic stomach issues, right? And people will always ask, well, well why, didn't Paul, why didn't Paul pray for Timothy? Why do you think Paul didn't pray for Timothy? The scripture doesn't say that. Look, understanding this in context, the man gets everybody healed on an island. They took a sweaty handkerchief off his head. People are getting healed everywhere. I guarantee you, he laid hands on Timothy. Okay, my son in the faith, this pastor of a church, this guy I've been raising up and mentoring and fathering, yeah, I prayed for him. Yet the scripture says he remained with some chronic issue. Now look, as much as I would love to speak to you the reasons why, talk to you about our responsibility to take care of this temple of the Holy Spirit, and to be, to be responsible, and the fact that you can't pray off calories when you're eating bonbons, right? You know, I rebuke you fat in the name of Jesus. No, you need to call Ruthie, okay? Like, there's no, right? As much as I would love to talk to you about that, the point is this, the supreme apostle, the apostle Paul, left someone sick who he apparently could not bring healing to. Similarly, Paul was out on a missionary journey, and one of his missionary buddies, Trophimus, it says he left him on, an, on, a, on one of their destinations, left him there sick, right? Now look, I'm not trying to, to like lower your level of faith and expectancy for healing. Please don't hear me say that, but what I am saying is that if the most premier apostle, by some people's estimation, did not have 100%, then why are we looking at those now today who look and claim that they have the gift of healing and saying, well, that can't be true unless you, also have, unless you have 100%. I believe it's possible to get 100%. I don't know anybody personally or in history who's done it other than Jesus. 
The next question was, well, why aren't they going to the hospital? Let me just firstly say there are people going to hospitals, and there are people out there clearing them out. You just haven't heard the stories yet. But I would also like to submit to you that it's more complicated than you might think. Look, even a pastor in this community, myself, I can't just walk into the hospital and start kicking down doors and laying hands on people, right? There's some of those people in there that aren't even my faith. They don't want me to come in there. I'll taint their room, right? They don't, they're, just, they're just anti-Sean because I'm too good looking. I intimidate them. It's true. Do I've had that? No, I haven't had that. <laughs> right? Not everybody is going to receive it. You know, two, not everybody actually has the gift, which means there's a handful of people, I mean, relative to the world, you know, that are out there using it. It's not every single one of us, right? But there are those in history who have made their mark in this way. One of my heroes of the faith, John G. Lake, early 1900s. Yeah. Phenomenal man of God. Unbelievable the things that happened under his ministry. You know, he had more success healing the sick in his day than what the local medical doctors did. He had so much success, in fact, that they actually gave him an honorary medical degree. He was in Spokane, Washington for a period of about five years. They were doing some healing rooms and some different things there. He's praying for the sick, obviously. In that time, in a period of five years, they recorded 100,000 miracles and healings. Five years, 100,000 miracles, 100,000 healings. You know, and, and you know if it's anything like here, that there were a lot of people who didn't turn in their cards. <laughs> right? Now, during those five years, the United States government declared Spokane, Washington to be the most healthy city in America. <laughs> the most healthy city in America. Is that not amazing? Of course, he went on to other places in Oregon and began to do the same thing. And people now have healing rooms modeled after John G. Lake. So there have been those who have done this very thing in recent history. There are people that are doing it right now. But to that I say, why not Warrensburg? Why not now? Why not you? God wants to use us in exactly the same way. But you know what else I learned about John G. Lake as I was reviewing the notes of his bio? He prayed fervently for 12 months to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Fervently prayed 12 months, pressing through until he got what he was after. And he marks that as being the one critical moment, the thing that changed everything in his life. I question how many of us today would pray for anything fervently for 12 months. So many of us claim to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, yet when power, Acts 1.8, when power is the demarcation for those who have been filled with the Spirit or not, I think if that's the measuring stick, some of us have room to question whether we were filled or not. And I'm not trying to heap on condemnation, but I am trying to say this. This is the hour of breakthrough. And your breakthrough is the breakthrough for this city and for this region. What are we willing to do for that breakthrough? What price are we willing to pay you know, sometimes I think the journey to the place of breakthrough is the thing that God uses to filter out the untrustworthy. 
Oh, we'd all like to be the Apostle Paul and heal an entire island. But what are we willing to get to what are we willing to do to get to the place where we can partner with God, where He can trust us with Holy Spirit in that way to do that? Look, this is an hour of breakthrough, not just for healing, not just for you know, issues that we've carried in our hearts, not just for sinful stuff. This is an hour of breakthrough for your lives, for our region, for the nation. What are we willing to do to step into it so that we have here a John G. Lake that cleans out the local hospital and they declare Warrensburg and the general region to be the <laughs> healthiest place on the planet? It's possible. Don't think for a second that it's not. And it's not only possible, it's probable because God is looking for one person to show himself strong. Will that be you? All right, let's pray. Jesus, you know my heart's desire. I want that to be me. But you also know how lazy I am. And how comfortable I am. And I suspect that that story is echoed many times over in our church. Would you break something off of us, God, that keeps us holding a grip so tightly to a little flash in our life called our earthbound period that is the shortest part of the entirety of our life. Help us, God, to have eyes fixed on eternity. Help us, God, to be willing to fervently pray, to ask for the gifts, to fervently and be willing to throw ourselves into this place where we're completely yielded, completely sensitive to you, you know, where your life is what matters, not our own. Help us, God. Help us to see what this looks like in our given calling, and our given sphere of influence, God. There's some mighty powerful people sitting in this congregation, God. Many of them don't even know it yet. Would you turn the light bulb on? Would you release grace for the breakthrough over them that we're looking for in this very hour. Now, Father, you said that we have not because we ask not, but healing is so tremendous. How could we not ask? <laughs> the ministry that you modeled, that you yourself modeled to us more than anything when you walked the earth. So this morning, God, we pause to ourselves. Jesus, would you give us, you know, would you, I, I don't want to think too small. I mean, would you give us 5,000 healers? Would you give us 5,000 healers? What we could do in this region, what we could do in this nation with 5,000 healers who were bold to step out to take advantage of opportunities with the lost, to open their mouth, to share the gospel. Father, to, to stand in the anointing and the platform that you've given them. We're going to shake the planet, God. Would you release that gift to us, God? Partner it with the gift of faith so that we could know that everything is possible and so that we could shed these clothes that are way too small for us, God. And we can step into the grandiose that you have from heaven's perspective. Help us with this, God. We're asking for the gifts. We're asking for them, God. In Jesus' name, amen.